0: Welcome back to Tower Talks, your conversational podcast from Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I'm Aaron, and on today's episode, I'm talking to Patrick Plunkett, one of the stone carvers who quite literally helped build the cathedral. Patrick joined the carving crew at the cathedral in 1975 and stayed there until its completion in 1990, working on some of the cathedral's most prominent features under the supervision of Master Carver's Roger Morigi and his successor, Vincent Palumbo. The stories he has to tell us are equal parts fascinating, hilarious, and personal, and it was truly a pleasure to get to speak to him. So, here's Patrick Plunkett on Tower Talks.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm very excited to get to know you a little bit. I actually just spoke with um, Jay Hall Carpenter in another interview yesterday, so I've been really enjoying getting this deep dive on stone carving and sculpting and that aspect of the cathedral sort of life. Um, so yep. thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Great, great.
1: So for those who don't know, um, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do?
2: My name is Patrick Plunkett. I'm originally from England. I grew up in the county of Dorset, which was a a seaside area, and uh I trained to be a stone cutter on Portland stone using Portland stone. so when I left Portland, um I traveled around the country, working at different companies, learning different aspects of the jobs and in seventy five no in seventy four I was in my sixth year at working on Salisbury Cathedral and The cathedral at the time asked us to do a public relations set up in the cloisters Mm -hmm. where we had a couple of bankers set up and we were working the stones that were going to be used for the cloisters so the public could see us and stop and ask questions. And in the process, a group of young lads from St. Albans School just happened to wander through. And they told me about this new cathedral that they were building in Washington. And I thought, wow, what a great thing to do, you know, Mm -hmm. because during my second year of my apprenticeship, they asked people at the company if they would like to go to Australia and help work on Brisbane Cathedral. And I put my name down, but because I was only in the second year of my apprenticeship, they wouldn't allow me to go. So, that was the end of that. So, I don't know, I always said to myself, I would love to work in another country until I was 30, and then mm-hmm. I would come back and start up again. Mm-hmm. So, I think I was like, I don't know, 28, 29 or something. So, I just wrote a letter to the of Works of the Cathedral in Washington, asking more, telling them that I was a professional stone cutter and... I specialized in restoration work on old historic buildings, mainly churches and cathedrals. And he wrote back saying, we're desperately looking for stone carvers. Would you be interested? And I just wrote back saying, yes, certainly, you know.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
2: Yeah, well, at that time, I, I, I wouldn't have called myself a professional stone carver because all I was doing was repairing broken architectural details Mm. like flowers and faces and things Mm. that were broken off over over centuries if you like Mm. and we got to do uh, the occasional finial crockets that sort of thing which is carving work but I at that time I didn't call myself a carver I was a a restoration guy you know so he liked the idea of me coming over so we kept up the correspondence, and uh, he sent me various forms to fill out, which eventually I had to go to the, the uh, American Embassy in London and, and get official stamps put on them and then mm-hmm. send them back to the cathedral, and then they they would have to go through their legal processes. And Anyway, so this went on for a year or so, mm-hmm. and eventually I get the okay to come over. So that's how... That's how it all got going. Mm. So I arrived in this country in May of 75.
1: And here you still are.
2: (laughs) And here I still am, funny enough, yeah. (laughs) I was only going to stay here for two and a half years, and I was going to go back to England. But funny enough, it never worked out that way. And after the two and a half years, um, I was working on the West Front with Frank Zick, one of the old carvers. And I I, I said to him one day, I I said, hey, Frank, I said, two and a half years is up and no one's asked me to go home you know mm-hmm. and he said well they uh they must want you to stay then you want to go home i said no i'd like to stay here and do some more work and he said well then don't say anything gonna
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't make a point <laughs> yeah so
2: i didn't say anything and i i just kept working so that's how it all got going
1: that's so funny what's Kind of funny about that is that I know so many people in even my own sort of cohort age range who come to DC for work and they were like, I'm going to be here for a year. I'm going to be here for a six month contract. And here we all still are five, ten years later. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just sort of been that way through the ages, I guess.
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: So for those who don't know, could you explain the differences between a stone cutter or a stone carver versus a sculptor or somebody who's doing the sculpting work?
2: A stone carver is somebody that works normally, I'm reciting, as in somebody that works at the cathedral, okay, the way Mm -hmm. things used to be at the cathedral. So back in those days, the carvers normally worked from a plaster model Mm
0: -hmm. that
2: was made by a sculptor, like Jay Mm -hmm. Carpenter, and then they would give that to the stone carver, and he would reproduce it into Mm -hmm. the stone, So he carved the stone as the model was. Now, sometimes the plaster model was full size. And if it was full size, he could use a pointing machine to reproduce it. That's how most of the work was done. If it was any other size, half size, smaller, larger, whatever, then he would normally use calipers or just use his eye to lay lay the stone out and then gradually reduce it Mm -hmm. until he got to... The required design. The sculptor is the person who's given the idea, either by the architect, clerk of works, or a committee, or whatever. Uh, he comes up with a group of sketches. Uh, he presents that to the committee, let's say, and they decide what they like, and then he makes a maquette, presents that and then from that maquette, he makes a full-size model in um, clay, and uh, then it's presented again, and any changes can still be made, and once everyone's agreed on the finished design, then that is cast into plaster, and then the plaster is, giving, is given to the stone carver, mm-hmm. and then the stone carver reproduces that into the stone. That's how it's That's how it used to be done at the cathedral.
1: So, do you have a chance to sort of bring your own artistry to that process as well, or is it more that you are working off of, you know, an exact replication of what is handed to you?
2: Well, back in those days, it was pretty more or less, they give you the model, you copy the model, and you don't play around with it too much. On some things, there was a bit more freedom. You could could do things. Mm -hmm. Um, The first job, that I was given at the cathedral was the carved rosettes, little Mm. tiny square flowers. And I did hundreds and hundreds of those things. (laughs) You started off with a block of five and then you just repeated them on the stones all day long, you know. Right. After a while, I said to the master carver, would it be okay to make up my own designs? And he said, well, as long as they conform to the square flower ideal which was four points of a corner and a center you could do whatever you like so i came up with all sorts of things you know and i I, it was great fun i had a great time doing that and then after that was done then we'd go on to things like crockets Mm -hmm. and there were hundreds of crockets to carve but again because they're architectural details you can't really go outside the box if you like now, they have to remain pretty much the same. It's only when you get to doing grotesque and gargoyles where you can, uh, you, where you can start to put a, a little bit of individuality into it. But again, mm-hmm. you can't really go too far because the cathedral was pretty strict in the way that they expected the carvers to work.
1: So you were a full-time stone carver at the cathedral, um, up until 1990 when it was completed, right?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, What was your favorite contribution that you made to the cathedral in that time, or the favorite thing that you worked on?
2: Oh, probably Mm -hmm. the west front tippinums, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because the cathedral closed down in, what, 77, 78, somewhere Mm -hmm. around there. Mm -hmm. And the cathedral basically laid everybody off, except, I think, the master carver and Malcolm at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think they were doing like so many days a week, I'm not sure. So I went to Cleveland to work. I found a job in Cleveland, uh, a granite mill in Cleveland that was looking for people. So I worked there for a few years. And I worked on a big statue that was designed by Franklin Lloyd Wright for the Johnson & Johnson headquarters in Racine, Wisconsin. And I used to call Mr. Feller, the clerk of work's, Every so often, to find out what the law of the land was, and and he'd give me a brief history of what the situation was. And then one day, he called me up and asked me if I would come down to the cathedral so we could talk over the prospects of starting up again, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was back in 1980, and he said that they'd they'd had a very generous bequest of money to start work on the um centre of Tippenham. So that's when I came back to um help the master carver Vincent Palumbo lay out the, the setting of it on on the face of the stone. You know, and then we started work on it at some point. I can't remember when we actually started, but yeah, so I came back in nineteen eighty till its completion.
0: Were there
1: any unexpected or surprising things that you were asked to work on for the cathedral or something that you sort of noted as particularly fun or perhaps something you wouldn't have seen in your work back
2: in England? Well, I guess the only surprising thing, I mean, everything I did in England was a restoration-type work, and you were just replacing things that were already there. A lot of stonework that had badly eroded away over the centuries, you could always find out roughly what it was like by walking around the building and looking at other parts of that architecture and then reproducing Mm it. But on Washington Cathedral, where everything was new, so you never knew what you were going to get asked to do. So I think probably the most surprising thing when I was there, that just out of the blue, was, I can't remember what I was working on at the time, but I was in the studio Mm -hmm. across the street, and Master Carver came over and he said, we've got two grotesques to carve. He said, I'm going to do one. Can you carve the other one? Mm -hmm. I said, well, yeah, sure. You want me to stop working on what I'm doing? He goes, yeah, because they've got to be done now. I said, all right. So he brings in the model, and it's the model of Darth Vader.
1: (laughs) How did I know that's where that was going to (laughs) go?
2: Yeah, so it turns out this was the competition that was run by the National Geographic Children's Magazine, I believe. And first and second prizes, if you like, were going to be carved in stone and placed up on the cathedral. So I think the first prize was this girl with an umbrella, which Vincent got to carve. And then he wanted me to carve the Darth Vader. So, okay. (laughs) Because it was just a model and not, I don't think it was to, to scale or anything it was basically roughed out marked out freehand, hand and uh, carved that way but the funny thing was that on one side of the head or helmet there was a crease like someone had put their hand in the clay or something and it was cast and the crease was in the casting and when I was getting down to the final kind of details if you like I walked over to Vincent and said, what do you want me to do with this uh, indentation? And he said, don't bother me now. I told you, just do it as a model. So I said, fine, okay. So I carved the stone exactly as the model was. I mean, that's the way you were asked to do it, and you did it. Right, that's what you were told to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after it was all finished, he came over and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> I said, it's in the model. I came over to asked you, and you said, do it as the model. So I did. And he just went, God, I don't know. He goes, so, you know, we have those little mix-ups every so often, you know. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, it was such a strict environment to mm-hmm. work in. You didn't second-guess or question anything you were told. You did as you were told or else type of thing, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well. I mean, I was no different than anybody else. I I told the line, you know. Right. And. Um, you did it and you were told. <laughs> yeah. So every now and then these funny things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you'll never see it because it's so high up. Right. You really need a pair of binoculars to see it anyway.
1: And at the angle it's at, it's even difficult with binoculars. Yes.
2: Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it's sure it's an odd piece to put up there, I know.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of restoration work, do you find yourself more drawn to restoration work or more drawn to the more carving uh, artistic
2: stuff? For me, I find it easier to do restoration work because there's more of that around than there is carving work.
1: Mm, That makes sense.
2: (laughs) And I'm not an artist. I've never classed myself as an artist. Mm. I'm not Mm. a sculptor. I have to rely Mm. on other people to come up with the design And then I will carve it for them. So although there are quite a number of stone carvers who are very good sculptors, Mm -hmm. I'm not one of them. I mean, Malcolm Malcolm Harlow was a very good sculptor. Constantine was a very good sculptor. But as for me, no, that's not my kettle of fish, as they say.
1: What's funny about that is that actually that sentiment really resonates with me as somebody who came up through theater practice mostly. Um, uh-huh. And I am not a designer. I am a costume disher. I can do hair and makeup, but you've got to tell me what you want. <laughs>
2: you right, right.
1: Know? It's an artistry in its own way, but it's not the same as being an artist.
2: Right. Well, I, I came from a stone-cutting background. I did my mm-hmm. apprenticeship in stone-cutting mm-hmm. where you learn to work a straight line You learn to work from a square, Mm -hmm. and you learn how to use a pair of calipers to work in circular cutouts. Mm -hmm. That was my background. Most of the guys at Cathedral were trained from the carver's perspective, Mm -hmm. where everything was basically freehand, or you work from a pointing machine.
1: Mm. Sort of jumping to a different line of questioning, do you often get a chance to visit the cathedral now that you're not sort of a full-time work, like, working there?
2: Now that I'm retired? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> do you have any favorite places in the building when you go to visit the cathedral?
2: I do, I do. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the most interesting part for me is the West Front because that's what I spent most of my time working on. But okay. the other place that I really love is the Bethlehem Chapel.
1: You're not the first person to say that, actually. A lot of people say Bethlehem Chapel is a really resonant
2: place for them. Yeah, it's, you know, you walk in there and you sit down and it's very kind of snug and personal and beautiful. All the proportions seem to be just right, you know, and it's normally nice and quiet. It's just a, a very personal place to sit and sort of think and reflect
1: Speaking of sort of the personal element of the cathedral, do you have any favorite stories of your time working there that you can share with us um, from the people or the, you know, sort of the experiences that you may have had?
2: Well, I guess one of the most memorable experiences are the people you work with. I mean, you don't really think about it at the time, but over the years and you look back and you think of all the people that you've worked with over the years – and what they've meant to you and what they've taught you and how you've learned from them without really thinking about it. You just, this happens, you know, mm-hmm. people tell you things and you do it and you use that on another job. And then this is how you progress, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of the major things, I think, is are the mm-hmm. are the people that I've worked with over the years, which have been really a focus point.
1: I think one thing I'm learning as I speak to more and more people who were part of the cathedral creation process is that there was a real like bond forged in that process that is hard to pinpoint, it's hard to put words on, but it seems like there was just this this energy around the creation of the cathedral that really bonded the people who were working on it in a very interesting way and people have gone sort of their separate ways since, but it's been very fascinating yeah, to hear yeah. those stories now with, you know, some distance from it and how people look back on it and reflect on it.
2: Right, right. Yeah. There was one story that so mm-hmm. I don't really talk about it very much. It was towards the end when a lot of the carvers had been let go because there wasn't enough work. And Vincent said to me one morning, he said, oh, he said, I got a call from Mr. Feller, clerk of works. He said um, he wants to see you up in his office after lunch. I said, oh, OK. I said, what's it about? He says, oh, I no idea. So after lunch, both of us walk down the road and upstairs to his office and knock, knock on the door, oh, come on in. And he's standing there, and he goes, oh, well, hi, Vince, hi, Pat. He goes, well, he says, um I'd just like to thank you very much for everything you've done for us over the years, and I'm afraid this, we're at a time where we really don't have enough work left for you to do, so we're going to have to let you go. And I looked at Vince, and he looked at me... I said to Vince, I said, who's going to finish off cutting all those rolls back on the tower? And Mr. Feller goes, what's he talking about, Vince? And he goes, well, Mr. Feller, um, you know, when we have those problems with some of the stones on the West Towers where, like every other stone was too big or too small, and the decision was made, just go ahead and set them in the tower and we'll we're, we're sort out the problem later. He mm-hmm. goes, yes. He goes, well, Pat's been up there trimming the stones in to make them look right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, why isn't somebody else doing that? Well, we tried everybody else, but they just take too long. And the reason that Pat could do it faster than anybody else is because well, he was trained as a stone cutter. Mm-hmm. So there you go, right there. That so mm-hmm. because I was trained as a stone cutter and. I was familiar or used to cutting a straight line and then only using a straight edge when I was kind of almost finished. He kept me on. He kept me on for another year oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> until I finished trimming all the stones on the towers, you know. You but saved yourself fucking your job. <laughs> yeah, it was a job that had to be done. I mean, I didn't particularly want to do it. Right. But um, they couldn't find anyone else that could do it as fast as me. So there you are, I was stuck with it, you
1: see. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> it was like, well, bought yourself uh, you know, another year or so of work it sounds like, which isn't necessarily a bad thing.
2: <laughs> oh, there was one there was a question you had there from Andy Bittner.
1: Oh yeah. So Andy really wanted me to ask you about the story of how you came to carve two of the figures in ex nihilo, sure how to pronounce it but he specifically asked me to ask you that story
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so we were we were up there carving away and Rick Hart used to come around I don't know once a month or once every two weeks or whatever and he just popped in and then and he says well how's it going Vince said oh it's coming along fine thank you Rick you know and I'm up on sort of on the left-hand side working away and uh, Rick says to Vince, he says, "Which one's Patrick gonna carve?" Well, Vince had decided that he was gonna carve them all. You're gonna carve all the figures, right? And he stopped and he he didn't say anything, and and he said, "Well, Rick, I'm not sure." He said, but, w- "I guess he can carve one of those up on the left left hand side, mm-hmm. up near the top." So that's how I got to carve one of the figures on. I think I only carved one. I got to do the figure up on the top left top left side. But I don't think Vince really wanted me to carve it. It was just that Rick Hart asked him. <laughs> I didn't ask Rick, you know. He just just came out with it. And, and that's the way it was. And the other – let me give you another interesting story mm-hmm. about uh, Rick Hart. I had finished carving the tippinum of the moon on the south side of the west entrance, and Mm -hmm. they had taken all the cover above the scaffolding Mm -hmm. so you could see it from the ground. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Feller and Vince and Rick were down there. They said, oh, great, looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. Looks beautiful. So Rick, I mean, uh, Vincent and Mr. Feller disappear off somewhere, Mm -hmm. and then Rick comes up the scaffolding, and he said, Nobody else noticed this, he said, but when I was down there, I forgot to put any craters on the underside of the moon. (laughs) I only did them from halfway up. So there were no craters on the model from halfway down. Hmm. And he said, do you think you can sneak a few in there (laughs) discreetly? Don't, Don't tell anyone about it. Just do them, you know. So... I spent the next day up there carving craters on the underside of the moon, you know. And he came back and he goes, oh, that looks better. He said, I don't know how i come to miss all those, but it looks much better now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, help me out, please. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not quite sure if he had put the craters on the top side or the ones he had put on there were correct, as in a photograph, but... I can tell you right now, the ones on the bottom are strictly me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those are artistic license. They bear no
2: resemblance to any photograph.
1: (laughs) They're not scientifically accurate. That's it. (laughs) That's so funny. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I think that's my favorite part about working at the cathedral specifically, not just visiting, but working there is getting to hear all of these sort of little stories about, the very human moments <laughs> that went uh-huh. into making the cathedral and why that to me is what is really special about the cathedral, right? Is It's this amalgamation of not just American history and these big important moments, but like, you know, you carving some extra <laughs> craters at, at the last minute and under pressure, <laughs> you know, the the weird little things that sort of make up that building that are so unique and so specific. I think that's yeah. that's yeah. my favorite thing about it. And frankly, why I'm enjoying talking to people about it because I'm learning more yeah. about them. So in a very selfish way, it's quite fun. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, we we made it. and You did. And, um, you know, we, we left this beautiful Gothic structure for they, all, all to see mm-hmm. for futures to come, I hope. And hopefully they'll keep repairing it when it needs, you know, restoration work. And mm-hmm. it'll be there for many centuries to come. That's the hope. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, that was all of my questions then. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It's kind of fun to get to know... All of the different, you know, people who have been connected to the cathedral, but in particular, listening to you talk has been very fun.
2: <laughs> thank you. it has be my pleasure.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Erin. Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> thank you, Patrick. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you to Patrick for joining me on this episode of Tower Talks. And as always, thank you to you for listening. If you want to stay connected to the Cathedral, check out our website, www.cathedral.org, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We hope this episode finds you safe and well, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week on Tower Talks.